0: Okay, we're recording. All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. We had talked last year, May 2018, about his book titled Behind the Wall of Illusion, The Religious, Occult, and Esoteric World of the Beatles. He is an author. His name is Sean McLeod, and he is coming to us from Ireland. But tonight, we're going to talk about a book he wrote, on a very important figure in American music, really world music, Phil Spector. And the title of his book is Phil Spector, Sound of the Sixties. So, Sean, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Hi, thanks for uh, agreeing to the interview. Really interesting subject. I didn't know the totality of Spector's influence. I I knew that he was important. I don't have a musical background. But uh, after reading through your book, I was very surprised at how many people looked to him as, I mean, even like you finished the book saying about Lenin. Uh, talking about how important he was, and we can get into that. But uh, you also published a book, uh, not only Behind the Wall of Illusion, but Leaders of the Pack Girl Groups of the 60s and 1960s and their influence on popular culture in Britain and America. So uh, yeah. you definitely have a few other titles out there. But uh, maybe we can start just talk a little bit about your background for people who didn't hear our last interview and how you became interest, interested in the subject of Phil Spector.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, William, thanks for um, asking me to do the interview again. It's a real pleasure um, to talk to you, and I uh, really enjoyed the last interview. Thanks. And um, my my background is um, I come, from, I live in Limerick, which is part uh, of Ireland. Next stop, I guess, after New York, we you if you're flying to Ireland, you'll probably hit uh, Shannon Airport. Which is uh, just down the road from me here. Um, so if you leave the, if you leave uh, JFK or wherever, you'll arrive in Shannon Airport. I think it's the next stop after on the over the Atlantic. So that's where I live now, and I I teach in the college here, the Senior College in Limerick, our College of Further Education. I teach music and media, film and and journalism. Um, I'm also currently doing a PhD in the university. So I'm in my second year of that, and that's music related too. Yeah. So as I said, I, I'm I'm I live in Limerick, which is um, on the west of the country, but I grew up in Dublin, which is on the east. I and mean, it, it's a lot more um, obviously it's capital city, but a lot more influenced. I think from there's a lot more influence from Britain and kind of well uh, uh, Anglo the kind of Anglicised part of the country, so um, yeah, you know, my my upbringing in Dublin was a lot more nearly British and American than it was Irish in a, in a way. Interesting. So, yeah, if I had grown up in the in the countryside, I might not have been so familiar with uh, popular music to the extent I am. Growing, growing up in Dublin,
0: and your interest in music started from an early age, correct? Yeah, since I was um, kind of just seven or eight years of
1: age, and then I around, I think around eleven, I I heard a Beatles song, and suddenly it was just okay. That was that was kind of what I was interested in then, really. From you know for the rest of my life was music and uh, playing music and reading about it and studying it, and yeah. So um, how- of course led me into other things because of literature and from literature into philosophy and but I think the root of it all was was, was music really, yeah.
0: Gotcha, and so then uh, you probably knew about Phil Spector and his influence on you know, 60s uh, groups and music
1: uh,
0: No, not really, I think um, I think,
1: funnily enough we, we don't, a lot of people wouldn't really know Phil Spector so well on this side of the um, the pond, I suppose, um, and I, it's. It, <clears throat> I think, in America he's, that he's still, you know, uh, just from looking into the into his life and into basically researching this book. Yeah, I, I did kind of feel still a huge interest in Spectre in America, more so than I think there is probably in Britain and Ireland and possibly Europe. Because um, I'll mention Spectre to people I, when I was writing the book. For example, you know people asked me who Phil Spector was and they knew the songs okay but they're not really too familiar with who who he is. But um uh so I I did know Spector, yeah, I knew who he was and um of course when I went and did, I did the girl group's book um like, I knew of Spectre through his connections with the Beatles, and I knew about the girl group stuff. And then I kind of learned a lot more in in relation to him and um, um, just his, his um, personality. I would have known stuff, friends of mine would have been interested in him, and I would have heard stories about, you know, kind of crazy carry on. But um, yeah, it wasn't until I really did the girl groups books that I really got um, to know him a little bit better. And <clears throat> to be honest, William, when I finished the girl group book, because there's a chapter Inspector on on the girl groups, because he obviously was a big area of his career working with the girl groups, the Ronettes and the Crystals and Darling Love and people like that. That um, I wasn't when Roman Littlefield asked me to do this book, Inspector. Um, I kind of felt I had covered what I wanted to cover on him, but I kind of obliged uh, to do it. I. I I obliged them by doing it. You know, I guess that's the right way of saying that. Um, and I kind of thought, well, yeah, there's a little bit more I could, I could, uh, kind of approach. Uh, you know, there's an angle I can approach this from that hadn't been in the other books that I'd read um, on Spectre for the Girl Group book, if that makes sense. Gotcha. And um, but. The more I read the more I went into him specifically and not just his relationship to the girl groups, <clears throat> I was really I was really surprised myself again. Because you think, you know, he's got this his I suppose his major period is from around sixty one um with the crystals up to sixty three or four with the Ronettes and then he kind of disappears and then he comes back with you've got that love and feeling and then The River of Deep Mountain High with uh, Tina Turner and that. And then of course, goes into the relationship with the Beatles and the Let It Be stuff, and then the Lennon albums and the George Harrison albums, etc. But prior to his work with the girl groups, um, he has a huge back catalogue of stuff that I I wasn't really that familiar with. And um, some of it's not amazing. Some of it's quite interesting, particularly for the period you know you're talking about 1959 60 61 and um you know you can find on on youtube for example um the phil specter anthology before
0: 1963 and it's a, it's a triple album you know right significant too and he was uh he's i mean he started out as a musician but really kind of came into his own as a, a ranger producer would you agree with that
1: yeah, so he starts off as a jazz musician and I think this is the kind of interesting thing maybe about Spectre is he starts off as this jazz musician um as a young as a young kid and he, he seems to I mean you'll you'll come across people who who worked with him, for example Lieber and Stoller and um and various other producers like that who, who kind of play down his 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 genius or his importance or whatever. Um and see him more as just a publicity man and somebody who could who could put a spin on on things, and then of course there's others who think he was um, you know the greatest, basically American pop um, producer, composer, musician, right. and you uh, so these very extreme camps: one, people who just don't rate him at all, and others who just think he, you know, he's never he's never he's never been bettered,
0: but. Um, I mean, he has I, an impressive musical legacy that would discount saying that he was merely a uh, kind of uh, used car salesman of music. I mean, some of these songs are still played. I think in your book you mentioned that that you've lost that love and feeling is one of the most played songs on the radios to this day.
1: Yeah, sure. And uh, but then you, I mean, uh, you have people like George Harrison and, and Spectre wrote, uh, Spectre produced. Um, Three, I think three records by Harrison All Things Must Pass um, and the two after that uh, Dark Horse maybe, uh, but anyway Harrison um, Harrison dismisses the work that he did, he basically says, well he didn't really do much at the end of the day and he had to undo all that he had done because it was just too uh, too much and um, yeah, yeah. Lennon of course kind of says a similar thing Um so, it's kind of really hard to know. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of hard to know. Um,
0: but, what, he, I mean, it's,
1: you, you can kind of hear with Spectre's girl group stuff that, you know, it really, for me, I mean, I I, I love I love that mu- music. And um, I think he does an amazing, I mean, they're amazing records.
0: Right. Um, and then what is it? Be My Baby, Then He Kissed Me. Those are incredible, incredible tunes.
1: Yeah, and if you can think, I suppose, back to that time, you know, how the production, um, you know, the ability to produce the music was probably not so uh, uh, as yeah, easy rud- as it is today. Rud- rudimentary,
0: you know? right, yeah.
1: Rudimentary. R- rudimentary, yeah. And so possibly from that point of view, he managed to get these really amazing sounds. But, um, and he obviously, impressed the records obviously impressed people like Brian Wilson, uh, even groups like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, uh, but um, I, I, uh, it's, it's just, you know, there, the, there's no one in the middle. It just seems to be a bit erratic So how, you know, people just dismiss them now. Personally, I think, and that's what I was kind of saying about him learning the music at a young age. He learned jazz, but when rock and roll came along, he kind of realised that this was you realised this was what was in what was the, new set, the the type of music to play, because this is what was the kind of zeitgeist. Right. And apparently as well, and this is from people who knew him as a kid more so, they would kind of say, um, everybody loved to hear Spectre play the guitar, and all the girls would crowd around Spectre when he played the guitar, because he was able to get, and this is a kind of quote-unquote, a radio sound out of his guitar. So, in other words, he seems to be able to tune into the sound of something, and um, he seemed to have a, a knack for or a talent for making something sound good. And of course, I guess that's really what he became known for: uh, sound of the record.
0: Right. Know? I mean, they well, they called it the Wall of Sound. Do you want to talk about that? The
1: Wall of Sound, and also what he his logo for his record company was. Tomorrow sounds today so it's very much about sound in a sense for spectre um yeah the one sound so the one sound was i think spectre just trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger um sound and, and it was it was an approach that he seemed to have developed where it wasn't necessarily about the particular instruments that were played um there's not so much it a, a kind of a distinction between the particular timbers of the instruments. So, you know, you don't hear necessarily a piano and a guitar or a trumpet or something has distinct sounds in themselves, but they all kind of seem to just mesh together into this one big, you know, overwhelming sound. So that was his thing. And I think possibly it, it only could maybe it only had such a life, you know, it, you could only do that for so long before it starts to start saying the same. Right. And, yeah. um, that possibly, I think that was all that became the criticism. Um, you know, when Spectre started falling out of favor, um, that was the thing I think people criticized his music for. It started to start the same, the same, even though a lot of those songs are, are so good. Um, probably his formula didn't change you know
0: right, he didn't update it but he was a yeah. very young i mean he he also had a he had a very strong busy business savvy that a lot of musicians don't have
1: he seems to have had yeah he seems to have had um see i think spectre really and uh, when i when i when you do a search or when i did a search anyway for spectre on the internet unfortunately what comes up a lot of the time is um today is Spectre as a kind of um you know being imprisoned and murdering Lana Clarkson and, and etc And um but maybe that's something you, you want to talk about later on. But,
0: yeah we can finish it up, sure.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's um you know it's a very unfair really, I think on on Spectre. And that's you know, we we, we need to get to that other subject later on. But um of course, whether he murdered or didn't murder or whatever, but obviously to murder somebody is, is, you know, not something that you want to be kind of um, giving credit to somebody for. But despite that, I think, you know, just to, from the terms of his work in, in music is um, something that um, does he needs to be credited for. But in order to understand Spectre, the music, his role as a businessman, even his situation that he managed to get himself into, and this murder case, and controlling prison, I think you really need to go back to, I guess like most people, but specifically with Spectre, is his childhood, because he really had just such a messed up childhood in a way, you know, Um, his father committed suicide when he was um, 10, I think, when, when Spectre was 10, and um, you know he's apparently quite a happy, settled, very uh, quite well-adjusted child. And then with, when this happened, um, you know you can only imagine the, how devastated it, how devastating it would be for a young boy. Plus, it probably triggered off what was an underlying kind of um, you know uh, mental disorder that seemed to. Kind of somewhat be there in his in his in his mother's side of the family anyway um, and um, it's kind of neurosis mm-hmm. um, his, yeah. his sister ended up i think in in kind of um you know yeah. with melt with mental problems and that kind of thing so i i think you know this this um this predisposition possibly towards that his father Killing himself, you know, he didn't just die; he he, he committed suicide, and um, obviously had a huge impact on him. And so yeah. in, in a way, again, he was kind of left, uh, you know, he he um, was left at a very young age, also with this responsibility. I think of kind of having to f- fill in his father's shoes, be the kind of the man of the house kind of thing. So, I think it very very, and then his, his mother moved from New York. And so he ends up in this uh, this alien environment in Los Angeles. Right. So he's also kind of taken out of his his um his envir- You know, the environment that he was kind of used to to a certain extent. Right. When which he, um,
0: when he was when he went to high school. He was kind of right in the middle of everything. Their famous recording studio, Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood's right there. I mean, it was Fairfax and Beverly, I think, where he went to high school. Yeah. So he was immersed in this environment musical uh West Coast musical environment.
1: Yeah, well again it was just kind of beginning to I think it was just kind of beginning as well when when he was a teenager. So and in a way there's I suppose a certain amount of that kind of you know, he was kind of in the right place at the right time in that sense because um the teenager was just beginning to have a voice a, kind of an Elvis just nineteen fifty six, so Spectre would have been about sixteen. Um He's already kind of, you know, he's he's learned his trade as a musician. He's been playing the guitar for four or five years. Um, he's obviously got a talent for it. He's got a, an ear for how th- something should sound. And um, so when he goes into the studio for the first time and he just manages to write a song, um, um, this the kind of song that the teddy bears did, to know him is to love him. Um, which seemingly seems to have been something that came to him one night when well, he was asleep and it was about his father and things like that. So um, that's kind of interesting in itself. But that kind of sparks off his, his career. He, he has a big hit with that, mainly because the record companies around that area, as you mentioned, there was a few small record companies who were trying to kind of get into the rock and roll scene and into the teenage scene uh Inspector came along with um his group which was you know a couple of teenagers and a teenage girl and they had this song and the song um just the, the record company that signed them kinda of knew a few people I um like Dick Clark and stuff like that and so it got played uh you know on the on the American bandstand and that's just kinda of catapulted it into kind of national success really. So he was kind of in the right place at the right time, I think. Uh, he didn't have any success then with that band after that. He couldn't write another song for a long time. And he seemed to have to kind of meet the right... He seemed to have to kind of be, collaborate with with other people. And so in that sense, I think Spectre is, is less so kind of a musician in his own right. But he seems to have been somebody who needed to collaborate with and somebody who I think people found him to be a good collaborator, they would you know, it was a kind of a chemistry there for certain <clears throat> groups
0: of people. Well, and you, you had written something interesting in the book. You you had a quote from Spector. Like he didn't necessarily think he was collaborating with the musicians. And I quote he said Spector said, When you see a Stanley Kubrick movie, you tell me how many times you immediately remember the cast. One, two, it's the same with Fellini. And that's what I wanted to do when I directed a recording. Singers are instruments. They are tools to be worked with. So you kind of had this, uh, you know, he was the orchestral guider or whatever um, through his career, you know, his multi-decade career. seemed like he w- he wanted to be the person behind the stream, uh, scene pulling the strings.
1: Yeah, well, that was, I think, in Factor's head. That's, that's, he kind of thought he was, um, you know, he was doing everything. He was, yeah, the Fellini, the Kubrick, the Mozart Beethoven. These are all and names. Wagner, are, yeah,
0: he was influenced by uh, Wagner too.
1: Yeah, so he's he puts himself into very grand company there. Like so, um, so I think he liked to think of himself in this sense. But you know, yeah, but I mean, the Ronettes are not the Ronettes without uh, Ronnie Spector's voice. Are um, are the Crystal, not the crystals without? The Crystals' voices, you know, or Darlene Love. or You know, he couldn't have created, he couldn't have produced the Lennon records without Lennon's songwriting. And then also, a lot of the songs that are used, that he uses are not his songs. You know, they're, he might have helped on writing them and he might have helped uh, shape them, which seems to have been the case a lot of the time. But, uh, say, Barry and Greenwich or um, Violent Man or Goffin and King, you know, they were... He needed these, he needed these people as well. Probably, right. maybe in some ways as much as they kind of needed him to be able to see the potential in their songs and know how to make them into really good records. Good um,
0: Just incidentally, uh, you mentioned Lennon. It was Spectre who produced uh, Lennon's one of Lennon's most probably his most famous song, Imagine. So whenever you hear that on the radio, uh, it was produced in seventy one with Spectre.
1: Yeah. So again. Um it's hard to know um how much Spectre ha- was involved in that, but I think yeah, the strings and he he, he kinda made it um he kinda gave it a a, a more commercial feel, I think. That's said it was plastic gonna band with chocolate on top. Uh so um yeah, maybe he was quite good like that. He could hear the he again the sound. He could hear the sound of a of what would sell. Or, and in that sense, back to that question, you, you not what you said earlier about him being a businessman. I think that's what I kind was of trying to say earlier about trying to understand his, his childhood because the, all these insecurities, he seemed to have all these insecurities. So I think as a businessman, I think he had to really try to prove to himself and also to obviously to other people that he was competent and he was capable and he was in charge and he was in control and he right. could he could do these things so right. um, and you had
0: written in your book that the mom saw him after the dad died as the kind of breadwinner like she was preparing him to be uh more business savvy you know i think that that, that came through and also he wasn't super athletic and he kind of was a maybe a smaller person so this was kind of where he expressed himself was uh you know being the big time producer
1: yeah so I think you know he, he seemed to instead of being maybe a great businessman with, with great business acumen I think he just had this incredible probably need to succeed and to be in, in control and, um, and just to kind of um, not you know Maybe he just kind of much bigger ego than he did not have business acumen and he was able, he, he just needed to prove himself, you know. Um, maybe that's a, I don't know a huge amount about business in a sense, but I mean, maybe that's just what you need, um, to do that. But yeah, uh, he, he definitely had the, the, you know, the um, confidence or. You know the drive to be in control. I think you know he just had that drive to want to be in control of everything. and that that meant his record company, um his songs, his um how what he released, what he didn't release, who he gave the stuff to, whether he had to um, you know kind of put pay for publicity and stuff, which is something he didn't like to do for his songs. Um, you know, it all had to be in his terms, he had to be in control. So at the end of the day though as well, William, because of that need for control, um, he kinda of alienated alienated himself from the business. I mean, I would I would think in a sense that someone like Paul McCartney or something is probably learned to be a lot more astute astute businessman in a sense, because he was a lot more diplomatic, you know. And right. He controls his own music now, pretty much, and uh, did for a long time. He control he has control over his royalties, uh, things like this. Um, so, I think I think Spectre alienated himself in a way, in, in a in
0: a sense. Yeah, he was too much of a control freak and also a perfectionist. Like, apparently, he would yeah. just walk on other people's toes. He wanted to get done his way.
1: Yeah, so. Uh, whether that was for perfection or whether it was just to kind of gain more I need this control but I think there's a psychological issue there really you know which stems back to the death of his father and the situation with his mother um, that underlying predisposition for neurosis that he had that it was seemed to be there in his family, the pressure put on him by his family to kind of yeah attend to kind of be the father figure of the so, And then, of course, you've got all these other things, as you mentioned. He's he was small of stature. He wasn't particularly athletic. and he, But he also, as well, from the business point of view, again, he didn't seem to have a problem with lying. He didn't seem to have a problem with, um, you know, kind of using people and the kind of ex- exploitation. So whether that's good business acumen or whether it's just, you know, people, other people may not have done that. But Spectre would have done it and it gave him the edge in some ways.
0: Right, but he he I mean financially he was very successful at an early age, correct?
1: Yeah, well his first his first hit with um um
0: I um what was it the what was
1: it called? Um,
0: sorry? Was it uh was it uh, the Renettes? Was it a Renette song?
1: No, the with the Teddy Bears. Oh, I right. just mentioned there a minute ago. Um uh, who, to know to him as the him, Yeah, to know Mr. love Um uh, yeah, that made him a lot of money, I think. But my, maybe not so much. I think the money kinda of ran out after a while, you know, but it really gave him this huge confidence. By the time he got to um make the Ronette's the crystals of the Ronette's music, yeah, he was making he he was making money. But he was spending a lot of money too, because he was making... these these um, records were costing a lot of money, and a lot of the times he he wouldn't release the records. So, you know, he was he was blown the money too. You know, um, <coughs> but again, as I said, he had such a back lot By the time he had done the Ronettes or the Crystals and the Ronettes, he had a huge back catalogue of stuff anyway. So I'm sure I'm, I'm I imagine there was well I don't know what the royalties were like in that, but probably some of them were 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 quite good. Um, yeah. And then again, I think yeah. later on, again, how he made control over these records um, and how they were released as anthologies and things like that, he became quite astute in that regard, I think.
0: Yeah, he had had, yeah. I think, four number one songs. To Know Him, To Love Him, Harrison's My Sweet Lord, Crystals, He's a Rebel, and Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. So if they're making it to number one uh, on yeah. the sales charts, that's significant.
1: I mean, especially well, he had lots of um, top 10 hits as well. So, you know, they would have generated quite a bit of, uh, you know, of a royalty
0: for him. Yeah. You Um, left a lot of his successful songs at the very end of the book. yeah. Yeah.
1: So I, I think what's also interesting is, um, which I, I didn't really go into in the book and I didn't really know how to go into it in a way, but this kind of connection with Wagner and, um, because he was always, he, he was obsessed with Wagner. and um, But what people used to call Spectre the kind of magician, you know, and that he could turn, you know, um, a, a record into gold, the, the alchemist, they would call him. Um, and, and funnily, it was the same with Wagner. Wagner was considered kind of like, you know, this great magician, more mm-hmm. so than, than a musician. And um, very charismatic, mesmerizing, kind of controlling in a sense. And um, it's interesting that Spectre had very similar qualities and traits in a way. Um,
0: yeah, it is. He, I mean, but he thought, Spectre liked to think of himself as in, as one of the great composers, though, right? Yeah,
1: he liked to think of himself as kind of, some kind of modern-day Wagner, I suppose. Right. But the fact that he had these, I mean... People would say, despite that he was short and you know didn't have, seemed to have you know physical stature, he was. Some people saw him as one of the most charismatic people they had ever met. You know, and these would be people who would have met.
0: Yeah, he just popped out there, charismatic figure.
1: That kind of, that kind of, you know, yeah, supernatural. I think in a sense, um, charm that maybe people like Wagner and that were supposed to have had um and and again I mean it's interesting when you if you ever going to see footage of the Imagine film where Lennon's working with Spectre you know just Spectre you know he just Lennon just kind of put you know Spectre's at the center of everything for Lennon Lennon just you know which you would be surprised at you know but um
0: Right. And you finish off the book with a quote saying Lennon, Lennon quoting, uh, saying Spectre is the genius other geniuses go to.
1: Yeah, I think Lennon's son, Sean Lennon said that about Spectre. Okay, that, gotcha. Sorry. That, that Spectre was the genius that the other geniuses go to. But again, you know, this is all, um, you know, uh, this that's. You know, John Lennon's son saying that, so I presume he's going to think of his father as a genius, and then you know uh, makes it very nice to think that Spectre is, you know, the. the It's all a little bit kind of um, you know insular that kind of world, but um, I think I think mostly just like the Beatles, um, as individuals, were they geniuses? I don't I don't know I. uh, I think they were very talented, but in the 60s, and as that group, did something work through them that was tremendously powerful, a kind of a zeitgeist? Right. And I think, yeah, they, it did. Yeah,
0: I agree. Probably,
1: probably not so much of their own conscious creation, but, you know, they became conduits, really. And I think they started to become a little bit more conscious of what was working through them and try to kind of harness it a bit more consciously by the end of their career. And I think Spectre for... And I think that's there's a chapter in there between Elvis and the Beatles. I think Spectre, in a sense, was a kind of a zeitgeist figure as well. He seemed to just channel something between that period of Elvis and the Beatles that was... Um, you gave pop music a kind of... Um, you know, uh, gave it the life, in a sense. It um, It gave it a direction... Until the Beatles and the, the British invasion came, it, it kept it alive, right. in a way.
0: I think Lennon, I said, th- Lennon said of Spectre, he kept rock and roll alive while Elvis was in the army. So it went yeah. Elvis, Spectre, Beatles. But I think there were similar things. I'm glad you brought up the Beatles because there was a very strong similar theme between both books in the whole teenage. The ability of these uh, music musicians to kind of capture the zeitgeist and the teenage uh, groups you know, on both sides of the Atlantic.
1: Yeah, so I I do kind of think you know the more I kind of look into this period um, that after World War Two, um, you know, you get this total shift in consciousness really, and um, it very much is taken up by the the, the younger generation, um, and you know, so it's, it's suddenly you've got the teenager, and suddenly you have kind of sense of greater sense of freedom, and suddenly you've got a a greater sense of, you know, um, the the individual, in a sense. You know, um, <clears throat> the notion that people can go and do and whatever they, they wish to do, in a sense, because the technology is there to do that. The communication systems are there to do that. The awareness of, I can do this, is there. And I think, clearly, Elvis... Um, uh, the Beatles, all all these became, you know, kind of very self aware young people. They were very self aware young people, aware that they could, um, you know, write songs and that they could break out of their the con the constraints of their socio economic conditions or whatever. Um, and they started to become aware that the world was, you know, they could e- explore the world and they could get things in the world that I think prior to the war would have been kind of out of the reach of a lot of particularly young people and particularly people from the social economic backgrounds that they would have been from, you know, they would have probably definitely Britain gone down the mine and just worked in the mine or worked on the boats or this kind of thing. And um, I think the Beatles, uh, Elvis, and to some extent Spectre in the background there, <clears throat> and made it made it people aware that they could do these things as well and suddenly you just had you know i mean you didn't have rock and roll groups in in liverpool or in, in much of england uh definitely pretty much not in ireland uh <clears throat> i don't think so much in the states either uh, where people were forming rock and roll bands and expressing themselves writing songs um going off and playing gigs and traveling up and down the country or going abroad or, you know, making a living out of doing that. Uh, But after the war, after the 60s, you know, pretty much everybody was, you know, had a guitar and was forming a band. And some of them did it for fun and some of them did it. They got so far with it and then they had to kind of give up or others continued to do it and became very successful and others... You know, do it on a not so not such a successful level, but they seem still seem to make a livelihood out of it. But um <clears throat> you know, they they write their own material. Do you, do you know what I mean? They're expressing their own ideas and feelings, etc. So they're becoming more aware of who they are. And um this, I think, would have been kind of impossible for for younger people to have done prior to to that period. That period. You know, right. you
0: know, well, right after what I mean you there definitely are parallels between Specter's story and Beatles because post war they they didn't have the post war or pre war or war burdens or those types of things, so they were all serving this kind of got zeitgeist that talked about independence Specter himself was actually kind of forward thinking his bands were all african American women talking about women's Perspectives, you know, which were uh, you know, and then he kissed me and all these things, and you point that out in the book. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, so I think again, like you know, Specter, as you said, he had his pulse on uh, you know, what was what was happening at the time, and related to the teenager and uh, to young people, and also to kind of African Americans, um, and whether it was all promotional stuff or not. You know, it's hard. Some people will say, "Well, you just you know just them it's, that's what well, opposite story but um I do think he he was to some extent and um and whether he was or he wasn't the fact that he made those records with these young people singing about young people's you know um concerns whether they were just um you know about um, having fun or whether it was and a lot of specters those, those songs are you know, Be My Baby is about, you know, sexual impulses and urges. It's not just um, a love song. There's something deeper there. Um, you know, Uptown, I know he didn't write the lyrics for these songs, but, you know, it's very much got a social theme in it. Um, and so do many of of the other songs. But, um, so the fact that he was, you know, there was these girls, African-American girls, you know, who were in the charts, quite a lot. Obviously, performing on television a lot, uh, performing in clubs a lot. So they were there in the public uh, eye and singing about things of uh, kind of, you know, that were beginning to concern teenagers. Bit right. Maybe like Rebel Without Cause tries to deal with those particular c- concerns of the teenagers. Alienation and you know being accepted and uh, parents and constraints and those kind of things. So I think... You know, he is... So by the time his period is finished in 64, 65, and the Beatles and the Stones come, yeah, they talk a little bit about... They sing a little bit about that for the first... You know, 64, 64, 65. But once you get 1966, you're kind of into, you know, much deeper issues. Um You know, songs about revolution, songs about... Um, I can't get no satisfaction. So You know, they're much... More intense. Yes,
0: yeah, that's good
1: Um, point. And it's only a couple of years, so I. It's a little bit like, you know, when you're thirteen or fourteen, and you you discover the opposite sex, you kind of have a certain amount of freedom. You can kind of go out and stay out a bit later. Um, But by the time you get sixteen or seventeen, you know, things become a little bit more. You're you know you're moving closer towards finishing school. Having to kinda of enter into adulthood and so your your mindset is you know, it gets a, you go a little bit deeper and things become a there's more concern about things in a sense you might become more politically aware or you know what I mean? Um yeah. so I think it kind of that period reflects for me, reflects that teenage period. I think it really reflects it in its, its overall you know, the 50s, 60s, possibly into the 70s reflects that period of of um, your teenage years, you know, in a kind of a, in a, what do they call it, a microcosmic sense. Yeah, people are still yeah.
0: referencing those too, though. The were still played all the time, you know, Beatles, a lot of these, uh, the influence, uh, Spectre influence, the Beach Boy sound, and themes, right? The themes Is of right? the Beach Boy. I thought you wrote, I, I recollect you wrote in the book that. Spectre's approach and style um, influenced the Beach Boys and uh, Brian yeah, Wilson. Did. Yeah, so yeah. all those kind yeah. of those kind of themes. Yeah, and
1: then they, of course it, it the next generation of uh, you know because again you know when you think about then you go into the seventies, so the sixties kind of finishes up, um, and it, there seemed to be a sense that. You know, the great utopian vision that the, was there for the 60s, the peace, love kind of movement kind of, you know, decayed right. uh, very cool. rapidly by by the end of, by 69, really. Right. Well, it's well,
0: interesting you mention that because I think in the book you talk about one of Spectre's competitors slash antagonist Melcher, was the target of the Manson family in 69. And so that was interesting, or they I mean, and there was some kind of connection between Manson and Melcher too
1: yeah, that's a strange connection yeah, right? yeah. Okay. I, I looked into that, but i i never i, I you know it would be very interesting to look deeper into that relationship between, well i mean i did it
0: it was the, right? it was because uh Manson was friends with I think the one of the Wilson brothers, and that brother was friends with Melcher, and Melcher was the guy who gave man, gave manson. You know, a uh, a chance to make a record, and some of that stuff was recorded, and so you know Manson was was around there. You know, definitely so.
1: Yeah, but it's deeper than that, William, because Mel Manson, yeah, he knew Dennis Wilson. Um, Dennis Wilson yeah, that's right, yeah, and they were, and then there was the Melcher connection. But Terry Melcher was living in the house. Um, if I can get this right now, he was living in the house. Where um, the murders? Hang on a sec. So it was Doris Day's house,
0: right? That
1: was his it, mom. It was, that was Melcher's mom. That's Melcher's mom, and he was told Melcher was told to leave the house. Apparently, um, it's been a while since I I looked into this now, but the, so just the, this connection between Melcher and the house in which Sharon Tate and those were murdered. Okay, so, mm-hmm. um, and then there's the whole Laurel Canyon crowd, and right. then there's the whole right. this this whole connection between what are called the Young Turks, and you've got uh, people like Jack Nicholson, yep. you've got... Yep. Um, Mamas and Papas. Mamas and Papas. You've got um, and Melchards in the middle of that. You've got, I think, David Crosby from The Birds.
0: Right, yep. Um I, do you know? Do you, you know, know that uh, mamas and Papas, It was uh, Phillips and then Ka- Mama Cass or Cass. I forgot her name, but they were both yeah. listed on the man. According to Dave McGowan, they were listed on uh, as character witnesses for the trials. They were never called to the to the jury. I mean, to this to the stand, but they were listed as people who knew Manson. So that you know, he's wrapped up. That's deep, Laurel Canyon stuff.
1: Yeah, well, also I think Terry Melchard, and even Paul McCartney though was. Terry Melcher, I think, with John Phillips, is that right? Yes, and and Manson, where they were at the Monterey Pop Festival, and they were going around handling out LSDs. So, seemingly, this is from from what I've I've read. Um, and so, this whole conspiracy about the LSD thing, uh, the to try and undermine this this kind of counterculture that was happening. Um, do You know this. This I'm not sure how familiar you are with it. With the CIA and the war, oh, the, right, yeah. drugs and war against the masses. Um, Absolutely,
0: this, bird, uh, bird. Acid, acid dreams and this, these books. Um, so, brotherhood of what is it brotherhood of love or whatever it was was the CIA front distributing massive amounts of uh, hits of LSD.
1: Yeah, and was Sharon Tate not also connected to Anton LaVey's um, Church of Satan? And she was part of this Wicked Witch Group? Yes.
0: Uh, I think she, Eye of the Beholder was the film she was in where she was wearing all kinds of, you know, it was a basically an occult-themed film. And, and don't get me started with Roman Polanski. These guys are all deep. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you know, Spectre is probably just right around all of this stuff.
1: Well, it's, it's kind of hard to know, I mean, because I think Spectrum, yeah, I mean, he seems to have been isolated in a way, um, maybe because of, he did it himself. He goes into seclusion for a long time. Um,
0: I mean, was, he, he, he peaked early. He peaked by the time, I think it was 26, is mentioned, like he had yeah. already made money and already alienated a significant amount of people.
1: Yeah, well, that's interesting, again, because in the Beatles book, I, I talk about this twenty seven thing. So Spectre's coming into his 27th year. Um, and it, it seems to be a time where if you don't kind of rejuvenate or move on, you just kind of, basically, that's it. You know, your 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 creative powers, your creative juices just burn out. So it's a bit of a challenging time, I think, for, for everybody, that 27 period, which is why... Possibly as well, this the connection with rock stars who kind of burn out physically. Right. You know, actually physically burn out, and they they die uh, at twenty seven. But right. um, I think creatively, and, it, and it's interesting because with the Beatles, I think in Lennon at twenty seven, he kind of he kind of loses his ego. You know, he's taken so much LSD. So after Peppers, he kind of is gone, and kind of McCartney becomes the main driving force of the group. Um, so there's a kind of a 27 period there for Lennon in, in a way, and it takes him a long time to kind of really get himself back. Even though he's making records, I think you know, by 75 he, he's totally he's just given up, you know. And I think he seems to have had an experience Lennon by 19, just around 1980. He was in um on he on a boat. He had a boat, and he was there was in a huge storm, and he had to take kind of control of it. the boat you know or else they were all kind of that was the end of them all so i think after that experience it gave him the kind of confidence in a sense to take control of his life again Hmm. and then of course he went back into the recording studio to make that one last album right he was shot in
0: 1982 right
1: was that right 1980 so he he just kind of gets his life back together in a way his you know particularly his creative life right and uh, He's gotten rid of uh, our. So so, know, but,
0: but let's get back to uh, Specter. So Specter kind of peters out at twenty seven, but he still is involved. He remasters "Let It Be" of the Beatles. He he's uh, producing Harrison stuff. He's still kind of working out with some. I mean, making music with some other big wigs. And then this whole event happens later on in his life, where uh, somebody dies at his house, right?
1: Yeah, well, his his son then died as well. I think he had a son, and his son died of leukemia. Um, a couple of years uh, in in the seventies. I can't remember the date now. But um, yeah, he had married team, one I, of
0: the Ronettes, right?
1: He married Ver- Veronica Bennett. Yeah, the lead singer. Right, um, two kids, one. He kind of took, So so it's interesting that even though he's kind of got this like all these. Gir- Girl groups and they're kind of out singing these songs and they're kind of, kind of progressive in a sense for kind of the feminist movement in a way, um, you know he he then marries Veronica Bennett and basically just keeps her in cars, her incarcerated in his house, and um, I think she had to kind of actually physically escape after just years of being locked away. She she had to escape,
0: you know, yeah, from her own crazy. house. Wow.
1: Um, so uh yeah there's those these contradictions there with with spectre and i so i the more i kind of think about it or just even talking about it here you know the more i kind of just feel a lot of spectre a lot of it is really this kind of you know whether it's making music or whether it's um you know um having these black girls and um you know being in some way kind of um a face for the civil rights movement, or they're female, so there's kind of the feminist movement, um, with kind of, you know, helping to kind of push that forward. Mm-hmm. The teenage thing, um, making records, being the businessman, the the entrepreneurial, you know, music tycoon, uh, the tycoon of teen, of teen as as um, Tom Wolf called him. I think underneath it all, it's just this huge struggle with his own. Self, you know, the need constantly to prove himself to himself and to to show that he was actually somebody, which kind of suggests in a way that he never really felt he kind of was anybody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he was
0: compensating for something. Yeah, yeah. So, and and he had some strange kind of control issues with women that started before the death of this. Uh, was he was she a waitress or something like that? What was her name, Lena? Yeah. Lana Clarkson. Clarkson yeah.
1: yeah, well, she was a was she she was an a, a kind of an B movie actress, and um, yeah, she was working in this club that that Spectre went to, and you know he kind of just seemingly brought her back to the to his uh, his uh, villa or his mansion, and um, no one really kind of knows what happened. What happened, William? I mean. Uh, they were the only two people in the house, right. as far as I know. Um, Spectre came running out of the house and told his seemingly his chauffeur that he had just killed somebody, um, or he thought that he'd killed somebody. And um, but it just that no one really seems to know, you know. No one seems to know, and I I get the impression, obviously, Lana Clarkson possibly knew but she's dead so you can't really tell anybody and i i really kind of feel and it, it's i i've kind of didn't really go into it much in the book because i didn't really it seems to have kind of overshadowed everything else that specter has done right. and uh, despite all specter's contradictions and the kind of his neurosis and his is his just may, mania um you know i do think he's created some incredibly great pop music or been part of it, um, in whatever capacity that is, you know, whether it's because of his great um, wall of sound or his great vision as a producer, or whether it was just kind of accidental that he managed to, for a couple of years, be create something that really just worked for the time. Um, whatever, I think he, he was there, he did make these, you know, he was in some way instrumental in making them happen. And um, I think, as Lennon said, he kept pop music alive while Elvis was in the army. And um, so, for those few for years, I think he's kind of very important, very interesting. It's very, it's you know, it's not necessarily yeah. And uh, it, you know, it's great music, pop music, Absolutely. and it, I I think it really does reflect, as a lot of pop music does, this changing consciousness of the teenager, which is pretty much, you know, very. Important for us today, in in many ways, whether in a negative sense or a positive sense. But the thing with the Clarkson thing is, I think William is that you know it's an, it would be it's unfortunate that, that that's kind of overshadowed everything, particularly since no one actually knows. I know he right. was convicted and he was sent to jail, but it doesn't still it doesn't seem it doesn't necessarily mean that he consciously. You know, pulled a gun out and shot somebody. Right, but um, what was
0: his what was his version of the story?
1: He doesn't seem to know what, oh, what's happened. He says he didn't kill her, um, and um, it what's interesting about that, it, he basically reckons that people were out to get him. He was kind of, you know, for a long time he upset people in the business. Um, People, other people wanted to make an example of him because he's so famous, you know, because celebrity culture in LA and people get away with things. Mm. Um, so for many reasons, Specter, you know, he, he denies uh, killing Lana Clarkson. He um, basically claims that people write to get him, etc., etc. Now, some of the evidence seems to suggest uh, there was a film made about this with Al Pacino and Helen Mirren. Um, where Pacino plays Spectre, and this movie basically makes out that there was no way Spectre could have killed her because he was a very short guy and she was very tall, so the angle at which the gun was supposed to point, be pointing, etc., um, just wasn't possible for somebody of his, of you know, that the, his size and right. etc. Apparently, there was no blood found in his clothes. Um, <clears throat> So whether or not that's true, or whether there's explanations for that, uh, the point there is that you know this film, particularly, I think, went out of its way to kind of um, you know to investigate what happened, and then to kind of show that you know this necessarily wasn't what
0: what could have what so what was the who else did it if he didn't do it how did she get shot.
1: Yeah, well, again, as I said, we, we don't really know unless we were there. I, what I do think, I think it's kind of, I think at most are, are definitely, we can say, specters to blame for the situation because, um, you know, this, this habit he had of carrying guns around with him, this um, insecure insecurity, uh, inferiority complex that he seemed to have had, the fact that he seemed to feel the need to control, you know, women and it gave him some kind of um, sexual prowess that he could get a woman back to his flat and, you know, get her to do whatever he wanted kind of thing. Whatever when, that was, you know, so all of these things really are the downfall is, you know, his his these are his, you know, real problems, his weaknesses, his. And these are kind of the cause to his own downfall, in a sense. So the fact right. that he ended up in prison on this murder charge is really his own his own fault, I think. Right. But but it's still a different. The fact that we it, that he, whether he did kill her or not, I mean, it just I there's no one now. There's no witnesses. No, no not, witnesses,
0: no, right? No, just um, his denial, right? But they still brought brought charges against him, you know, and they stuck. I guess the jury. Say so convict, he's not getting out of jail uh, while he's alive. That's for sure.
1: Well, well, he did. He, there was he was um, as far as I can remember now. The first he had two trials. The first trial he was acquitted, um, right. and then there was a second right. trial. Um, um, I, I'm sorry, William, I don't remember all the details because it's been a while since I've been involved in the, this particular area. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, with and that. but so. Anyway, any of your listeners can, can, if they're interested, they can check that out. Yeah, it was definitely there was a second. This was the second trial, so I think he was acquitted the first time. But um,
0: but it's unfortunate too because he did have a a pretty legendary career, and now this is the negative bookend on that life. That you know, this death arised about out of his own personal short you know shortcomings that had been with him for decades. So yeah, it's uh, it's terrible.
1: Yeah. And, and I think in that sense, I mean, in, in a way, okay, okay, you know, the girl, the lady who died, Lana Clarkson, you know, again, that's very tragic. Um, you know, you can't really just kind of ignore that and just focus on, you know, a specter did something really stupid and he really spoiled his career because at the end of the day, this woman got killed. Um, and we have to kind of keep that in mind at the same time. But yeah, it's really. I, I think Spectre, which just it makes him kind of interesting in a way um, even though I don't personally find him particularly interesting myself you know mm. um, I mean I've read I've read read, read a lot of books on Spectre and that, but you know he's not really a person that I would um, really you know if he was if he if he's been interviewed on the TV or whatever I you know I don't know I would really interest me that
0: gotcha. much. Well, we're now at the fifty-five minute mark. I mean, we've kind of covered the importance of Spector's influence on music in the '60s. The tragic end. Is there anything else that you think we might have missed, or anything else you want um, to mention?
1: I I don't think so. But I just wanted to finish saying. I think it's it, it. What does make him interesting in in a way is just this huge contradictions that are that are there, there with him. You know, the fact that he was so successful. It's um, all his great music, in a way, and also, um, you know, he was quite, um, you know, innovative in how he ran his business, his record business, how he made the records, um, right. coming from nowhere and kind of, you know, making this huge impression on the popular music industry, <clears throat> and at the same time, all those those um, talents he had to, or abilities he had to do that, I think, come from this kind of underlying. Feeling of insecurity and and you know the, the need to prove himself, uh, which stems back to the death of his father. And of course, this then is what, at the same time, causes his kind of this destruction because it, he ends up getting him into all these stupid, really, you know, um, need to control every situation and whether that means. With music or with, a, with, a, with some kind of, you know, a gun or something I like gotcha, that. Right. It's what ends them up in prison. Right.
0: Um, well, that's a great way to end it. So the book is Phil Spector, Sound of the Sixties. Um, it's available on Amazon. Also, your prior book that we discussed was Behind the Wall of Illusion, The Religious, Occult, and Esoteric World of the Beatles. And then another book, Leaders of the Pack Girl Groups in the 1960s and their influence on popular culture in Britain and America. So, thank you very much, Sean McLeod. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about Phil Spector. Thanks, William. Thanks very much. All right, cool. All right, we're done. That's good. I got to.